Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves. Feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsu Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is, I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries, I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less, no thawing required. You can fully customize your wild grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box. And $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. The President of the United States gave two speeches this week. We discussed the President's Afghanistan address and campaign rally. This is Sarah from the left. And Beth from the right. You're listening to Pantsuit Politics. No shouting, no insults, plenty of nuance. So, Beth, I used the excuse of traveling to avoid the campaign rally. In fact, I flew through Phoenix and I couldn't get out of there fast enough. But you suffered through it all for for us. And we really, we appreciate your sacrifice. Well, thank you. I did not feel like I was making any sacrifice during the Afghanistan speech, which seemed like an important thing to view. About 10 minutes into the Phoenix rally, I thought... I'm not sure that I can do this. But then I hung in. It was 77 minutes of pure torture. Well, let's talk about Afghanistan first. Did you see that speech? I saw bits and pieces of it. Okay. And there's been a lot of analysis since then. And who knows how relevant it is. But I think the themes were uh, governing is harder than I thought it would be. Hmm. And I am not going to withdraw our troops. In fact, I'm going to send in more and I'm not going to tell you or anyone else how many. And we're coming off the timeline for withdrawal. And also let it be known to 
everybody else in the region, including Pakistan, which he named, that the United States is going to kill terrorists. We're not nation building. We're killing terrorists. Do you feel inspired? Do you feel calm and good and peaceful? No. Here's the thing. Well, the one thing that while I don't trust that he understands or appreciates the complexity of government or governing, I do think that he understands that this was a campaign promise he's backing off of. And he's really big on that. I have a theory. This is why there is increased emphasis on the border wall as we are coming to the debt ceiling um, discussion, because I think he's sensing that he does not have anything to go back to his voters and say, I delivered yet. So, you know, I'm sure this was that was through the lens through which he was looking at this, although to give some credit, I guess there was reporting that he had soldiers that had served in Afghanistan to the White House. He he spoke with them about the area. And then when the generals came for the meeting, like he was very aggressive in his questioning and very angry in his um, sort of belief that nothing was happening. And I kind of, you know, look, I credit where credit is due. The idea of engaging soldiers on the front line and trying to get their perspective and then being very aggressive in your questioning of the general strategy is a good one. But if you end up at the exact same place, I'm not really sure, you know, what it was all for, because this is not a real change in strategy. I think it's a change in strategy only in the sense of an infusion of troops and coming off of that timeline. And I think both of those things are pretty significant. And it's interesting that you use the word trust because that's what I've been reflecting on today as I've read about this and I have read things like you just described his process for coming to this conclusion. I think about people like Madison McMaster. I think about what I would likely be coming to as conclusions if I were in the Oval Office. I probably would get to about the same place. I just recoiled at this entire speech because of my lack of trust in him. And I think that's a really significant thing for me to check in with myself on. I don't think there's a good outcome in Afghanistan. And I think part of what I hated about this speech was the emphasis on winning, because I just don't think there's a win for the United States in Afghanistan. And I I think saying we're not going to do nation building, we're going to kill terrorists is a tone that is abhorrent and also just isn't true, because if the goal really is to stop terrorism, we must do economic development and nation building. So the the inconsistency in the tone bothers me. But as far as the actual military action, maybe given the same information, I'd come to the same conclusion. I think that his foreign policy is definitely wow. I could say that except for North Korea. I was going to say it's one of the one places that he seems to at least try to respect the norms and sort of the process wins out, except for then he he tweets threats at North Korea. But, you know, let's just put that aside (laughs) in a weird world in which you put threats of nuclear war aside. But it does seem to me that like sort of the, the, the only place within our government in which he will sort of let respect for processes and norms and the the experts in charge went out is with our military. And I mean, I think you're right. I don't think there's a great solution there. There was a really great um, interview with the Afghans, Afghanistan reporter for the New York Times on the Daily today. And he was just like, we're just mowing the grass. That's what they call it in the military. Like a terrorist pops up. We tear, you know, we mow this down. A, a cell pops up. We, we kill them. But like, 
There is no long-term strategy. I found myself listening to sort of the history of strategies in Afghanistan and everyone's emphasis on Pakistan and how no one's been able to crack that code. And there's a part of me that says, why don't we just say, I mean, you know, I think that Pakistan is calling our bluff and saying, we're not going to do anything to help where they're hiding on our borders because you're not going to leave. And there's a part of me that's like, well, why don't we just say, no, we're going to leave. And now this is, if you want this to be your problem, fine. Now it's your problem. If you're not going to help, if you're not going to contribute, then we don't have to stay here and keep repainting the same bridge, you know? Yeah. And this is, I don't trust myself or the president to have an understanding of the complexity surrounding Pakistan because, you know, none of this is ju- about just Afghanistan or just Pakistan. It's about Iran and Russia and the entire Middle East. And I read today that Pakistan is developing nuclear weapons at a faster rate than any country in the world. And that was surprising to me. And I'm going to do some more reading to validate that. But, um, I, I do think there's just a real, <sighs> there's just a real intricacy to all of this. And he communicates in a way that makes me doubt that anyone's taking that into account. But then I try to remember that he has assembled a lot of military experts and hopefully this is all going in the right direction. And we talked before the election in the context of Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama that probably the foreign policy of the the next few presidents just can't be dramatically different because we, this is kind of the world that we have and how we know to deal with it. And I think our evolution in dealing with it in different ways is going to be very, very slow and mostly nonpartisan. And I mean, I think that's the hard reality he bumped up against. And that was reflected in this speech is that I'm dealing with the same reality. You know, I can say it enough and try to make it true. But the reality is that I'm dealing with the same world Barack Obama and George W. Bush and Hillary Clinton would would have dealt with. And I have a very limited amount of solutions and I can't, uh, you know, use my winning negotiation on it. And you're right. I mean, he did sort of say that. I think any president like let's say that this is a person that we both have complete confidence in instead of the person that we have. I think any president needs to do a better job than the last three have of explaining to the American people what we are trying to do there. And this speech definitely didn't do that. What are we trying to do there? I don't think we know. (laughs) I think they can't explain it because nobody knows or the answer is so sort of unacceptable to the mass of the American people. You know what I mean? I think that's the reality. I think that's true. I mean, I think that you could sit down and talk about ensuring a stable and functioning government in that country so that that government can ensure that terrorism doesn't flourish there in a way that poses a threat to the world. I think that's a vast oversimplification and probably pretty pie in the sky at this point. But that com- we need to have that conversation. We can't keep sending people overseas and having them risk their lives without people understanding at all what the goals are. Agreed. So we tried to give the president some space around this Afghanistan speech, and certainly the media gave him a lot of praise. But then, you know, 24 hours passed. Up next, we'll talk about the president's campaign rally in Phoenix. 
If you're looking for a very quick salon quality, but not salon priced manicure, Olive and June has you covered. We've talked about Olive and June's Manny system before. It has everything that you need for a professional manicure in one box, salon grade tools, your choice of six polishes. Those polishes are gonna last you for seven days or more. The cost breaks down to about $2 a manicure. Olive and June also has press-ons if you want. What I love though, is that Olive and June each season is coming out with new colors. And I just got a set of spring and summer colors in quick dry polish. And they say this dries in about a minute. It seemed dry to me in about 30 seconds. It was not kidding about being quick dry. I also love the light colors in this set. There is a huge range. My favorite one is called Kitten. It's like a pinkish gray. The quick dry polish gives you full coverage in one or two coats. It lasts for more than five days and it is offered in more than 40 cruelty-free and vegan polishes. Olive and June just understands what's happening in our lives, that we need to move quickly, but we want to look great and feel great and have fun in the process. Visit oliveandjune.com slash pantsu for 20% off your first system. That's O-L-I-V-E-A-N-D-J-U-N-E.com slash P-A-N-T-S-U-I-T for 20% off your first Manny system. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. Because I think about Griffin going away to college. Y'all, he's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash pantsy. Just finished A Court of Thorns and Roses and craving another fantasy world to devour? Dipsy's got you. Dive into spicy enemies to lovers' tales or embark on an epic romance between immortal fae and sworn foes. They've got fantasy romance stories perfect for your morning walk, late night, or long bath. Dipsy is an app full of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods and goddesses, Regency-era historical fiction, and fairy smut to explore the bounds of your pleasure. New content is released every week, so in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. Yeah, so the president, the night after having this, you know, for him, very serious discussion of foreign policy with the American people, took himself to Phoenix 
and had a campaign rally, uh, presumably for his 2020 campaign. I just want to go on record again as saying, I'm just going to keep repeating this in the hopes that putting this out in the universe will make it true. If people are outraged by Christmas decorations in August, they need to be outraged by presidential campaigns that begin the day after inauguration. Sorry. I am outraged about it. Outraged. I am also outraged that the the people who came to this rally are still in the 2016 election. Honestly, all of the <sighs> horrific things the president said landed with me less significantly than my reaction of utter despair to the crowd at this event. Mm. So, so true. I guess to just take us through it a little bit, um, this was a big deal. Ben Carson was there, which folks have suggested could possibly violate the Hatch Act because Ben Carson is playing a political role while he's the secretary at HUD. Mike Pence was there. And then the president, um, as I mentioned earlier, spoke for a painful 77 minutes. And it was really weird. He he started off by saying that, you know, he wants love and unity. He kept saying our movement is about love. And then he said he went into his um, crowd size bit. Look at all the amazing people here. I bet they won't show these crowds. Meanwhile, CNN is panning the crowd, you know. So um, that happened several times during the speech. He was like, the cameras are turning off now. I'm like, no, they're not. I'm sitting here watching right now. He specifically goes after CNN. I specifically watch CNN. Mm -hmm. But um, then he went into the fake media as a way to relitigate his Charlottesville comments. And honest to goodness, he takes out a piece of paper and he reads his statement the day after Charlottesville. But leaves out the part. Yeah. Uh, Except uh. that he left out many sides. But he just went through it. And I mean, it was so defensive and strange. He had so many moments of pettiness. At one point, he talked about all these elites and he said, you know, I went to just as I went to better schools than they did. I live in a bigger, more beautiful apartment. And guess what? I live in the White House. And the whole time this crowd is with him and they're cheering and they're booing and they're chanting at all the right choreographed places. And I just felt sick about it. So here is the mental space I'm in in this this rally sort of spoke to me too to this point because I think I am sort of synthesizing down one maybe the main problem we currently have in our polarized environment is the idea that your fellow Americans are the enemy mm -hmm. that your fellow Americans whether they work for CNN whether they vote for Hillary Clinton whether they live in New York City, whatever it is, and honestly, whether they work for Fox News, whether they live in rural Iowa, whether they support, you know, they're pro-life activists, whatever it is, we are not each other's enemy. I don't know how to say that any other way. I got in an a disagreement on Facebook about Civil War monuments, and it was just constantly... The left is destroying our way of life and the left is the enemy and the left. And I just, 
I can't do it anymore, guys. I cannot do it anymore. When you turn around and you scream at people behind cameras at a Trump rally, those are your fellow Americans, your fellow citizens. When you, you know, bash on college students in UC Berkeley or when you fume about idiots who vote for Trump in Louisiana, those are your fellow Americans. If we cannot let this go and move forward to solve our problems together, then what are we doing? Why are we a country at all if half of the country, depending on what size you are, side you are on, is filled with people you hate and people you don't think represent you? I mean, like, I don't, what are we doing? If, the, if half the country is the enemy, then why are we a country at all? I wonder if we have lost our ability to view our policy through any lens other than the one that you just described, because that's all we've practiced for a few years. Mm -hmm. I think policy is a generous term to use there as well. Well, and I agree. And looking at this rally, I started thinking, how do you start to fix this? And part of it, I think, is that we've got to stop looking for our politics to produce all of this emotion and adrenaline in any sense. Mm -hmm. So as much as I want to be inspired all of the best moments of the West Wing by my leaders, I probably should just look for competent people who are willing to go grind it out and read stuff and make hard decisions and listen to people and stand on their feet for super long days. We know when I think about the criticism of Hillary Clinton and Jeb Bush and a lot of people who have done a lot of good public service because they just didn't jazz us enough, you know, mm -hmm. and I'm a part of that too. I think the, the need to be so attached emotionally to the individuals running and to the ideas or talking points that are allegedly about ideas that are out there is just out of control. And that in both the positive and negative sense, we have got to scale it way, way back. I also think we've just, it's been too long since we have seen or had a time, I mean, maybe post 9-11 for a month or so, at which we remember that there is positive emotion tied up in being a united American citizenry. You know yes. what I mean? Like, yes. we don't remember what that was like. I mean, I do because I'm a political junkie and, you know, I can tap that emotion pretty easily. It's one of my favorite ones. This sort of we're in this together. United we stand. Civil discourse. Like. It's, it's also really, really, really wonderful. It's a wonderful feeling. It's a wonderful feeling to tap. Like, you know, there was, there was a lot of that at the DNC. And I was like emotionally high the whole time because it was this, we're in this together. Look at how amazing America is. Look at how much we have to offer. Like there was so much positivity and that offers its own sort of emotional charge. And like, I know that I think the real problem is not that, that lacks sort of the emotion people are looking for, but that that is a hard sell for media. I think that's sort of a big, that's a hard sort of um, emotional, because um, it's not really a conflict for to sell on cable news. Like, I'd love to see the ratings for that rally last night. You know what I but mean? The, you know, the problem with the DNC, though, and, and not to get into just criticizing anyone, because there, I've looked for this from Republican presidents, too, but the, the DNC was a 
was was an event that was produced very carefully to create that feeling the whole time, which makes you walk away thinking that that feeling is a substitute for good governance. And it's not. And it's not when it's fueled by, you know, beautiful music and patriotic sentiment. And it's not when it's fueled by lock her up and booing the fake news. And I think we've got to take a step back from all of it if we're going to. And again, this is not about equivalence. I'm just speaking kind of as a person who is searching for where can we get started on getting better than this? Because we are just like circling the drain right now that as I watched that rally last night, I thought I don't see any anything here that I feel proud of about my country. I don't see an adult here that I would want my children to emulate. I haven't heard a word here that speaks to me of any level of virtue. That is a problem. Yeah, it's a huge problem. And I don't, and I think the real risk is the more people see that, you know, the more people are just tuning out, the more people are just like, forget it. You know, this isn't a space for me, this, you know, I'll do my, my civic duty, or maybe I won't, or maybe I'll just pretend like this is another universe that I don't exist in. But I don't think you get to do that anymore because it's bleeding into every area of life. I mean, that's the other side of politics is entertainment. It's what people are talking about. Even the least political people I know have this on their minds right now. And I think that's good. And that gives me some hope. And I also think that in terms of the messages being transmitted from these events and these people and this time give us a real incentive to just go way, way back to things that we've all gotten too cynical to spend much time or thought on. You know, I think we, we view any conversation about respect or kindness or gratitude as though it's trite or it's self-helpy or it's new agey or whatever. Um, I think we need to have like a resurgence around just the real fundamental ways that we care about each other. I can't imagine in my childhood ha- someone having told me that we were going to talk about people we disagree with on policy the way that we talk about each other today. And I get that policy is generous because some of this is just about hatred and ugliness and fear and insecurity and xenophobia and racism and you name it. I don't think all of it is. One of our listeners, Lou, asked me on Twitter today, like, you said no nuance for Nazis. Why do you have any nuance left for Trump supporters? And I said, it's a really fair question. A big part of it is because I want to have it. There are too many of us to not have nuance for Trump supporters. This is just a numbers game (laughs) for me. You know what I mean? Like, because what's the alternative? Just ignore them and hope they go away. I'm not sure that's realistic. Well, and I don't like who I am when I can't find that space for someone. And maybe I'm totally wrong about this, but I just can't believe that every person who still, for whatever reason, is with this president holds such deep-seated hatred for other people that they belong in the category of the folks who choose history's most reproachable symbols to carry their message. I feel like at this point, you know, with people I know 
smart, educated, caring people who are still wholeheartedly supporting him and think he's doing a good job. Like, I feel like it's almost time that I need some sort of like psychological expert. I need, I need some science to tell me what's going on. Is this just like confirmation bias on crack? Is there some sort of like, um, science on what happens when you're in a cult that we could look to? Because it is, it's exceeding all of my tools as far as, you know, I don't have problems understanding where conservative people come from. I really don't. There are a lot of issues that I get that I understand that side of that I can find space for those for for that viewpoint. But at this point with him in particular, the idea that he's still doing a great job, I I'm I'm going to need some outside help because I don't have any tools left to tap. I don't have any sort of empathy or understanding or deep social science (laughs) reading. I just, I don't know anymore. Like I just don't know. And I don't, like I said, I don't know if it's just that we are, this is the power of confirmation bias, but I don't know how you could live in the world. We all inhibit and say, he's doing a fantastic job. I don't either. One of the things that he said last night was that we will shut down the government if we don't get money for the border wall. Now, I understand that he might perhaps just like an excuse to go to one of his golf resorts and hang out for a while during the government shutdown. If you are a person who's with him because you believe that Congress can get conservative policies through and have him sign them, that will kill any possibility of tax reform. Now, I think there is a very slim possibility of tax reform happening anyway, but it is guaranteed not to happen if there's a government shutdown over the border wall. He just doesn't care about what you care about if you're that person. He doesn't. And he tells us all the time there is no reason to disbelieve what he says over and over again now. And I guess at this point, maybe the mistake we're making is thinking that for these people, for this group of people, you know, the 95% who still think he, of, you know, registered Republicans who think still think he's doing a great job. The issue is not, I think maybe what it goes back to what I was saying. The issue is not Donald Trump as an individual. And it really never has been. Donald Trump only exists in a political environment within a certain framework. And that framework is our alternatives are worse. Our alternatives are the enemy of our way of life, the liberal left who want to tear the country apart, or the rhinos who don't understand what's really important. And, you know, he is our, our best hope. He's the one who fights for us. Like maybe it's, it's always, you know, sort of what I've said from the, at least since I've sort of learned this lesson the hard way that he only exists as a, as a option. If the other side sees sort of this, all hands on deck, the situation has reached situation critical and we need somebody like him. You know what I mean? Like maybe that's what we're missing is that it's, it's all about the context within which he operates for those people. I think that has to be true. I also think as someone who's always been part of the party of personal responsibility, that it is incumbent on everyone who still is supporting him to deeply examine why 
and whether their why comports with the evidence in front of us about who and what he is. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online, and we were discussing the fact that I am 43, and she said, I cannot believe how young you look, and I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy filtered shower head is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered shower head purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code PANTSUIT at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. We got. A, <laughs> I'm sorry. I said I don't have anything good to add to that. Yeah. Well, I think one thing that we should say before we um, sign off for today, we got an interesting question on Twitter about presidential pardons because 
The president very strongly hinted in his speech that he planned at some point to pardon Sheriff Joe Arpaio. And the question was whether there's any kind of congressional check and why does the president have the power to pardon? And um, Sarah, you retweeted a great thread about this Uh that we can link in the show notes. The thing that I think is important to pull out is that pardoning to me is another way of saying that our three branches of government are co-equal so that we somehow get to the right answer. And the power of pardoning often comes into play when courts have been, well, almost always comes into play when courts have exhausted their process and a person has been wrongfully convicted and it gives the president an opportunity to remedy what the what the justice system failed to remedy. That's how I've always viewed it. Now, certainly there are examples of pardons being used in ways other than that. But if you're looking for sort of a should this power exist, I would say unequivocally, yes, it should exist because the three branches need to have that constant tension between them and that constant ability to step in when another branch hasn't gotten to the right place. And I know the right place is hard. That's a hard thing for me to say as a conservative, right? Because who decides what's right? But but that's the objective as I see it. No, I think that's right. I think that's right. And I think that the, I think that's right about um, pardons overall. And I think her point about this specific pardon is really good. The Twitter thread I retweeted was, you know, her, her take was, was an ACLU lawyer is that it exists, but that it is, it is, there are sort of checks in place to um, still keep it within this check system. And that we need to think carefully before we use it, we being Trump. Because if you pardon someone like, um, can you pronounce his name? name? Arpaio. Arpaio. Mm-hmm. Arpaio, who really has not even been fully convicted. He hasn't been sentenced yet. Um, there hasn't been this waiting period. It's not like he's served time and we think he's being overpunished, like with like the Chelsea Handler situation. And so it would really just be... Uh, especially because he was convicted of contempt of court. So it would just be this like triple sort of finger (laughs) to the judiciary branch. The other question that I wanted to make sure we address came from Michelle who asked, she has always had a morality component to her job where she could lose her job for a variety of things that are unbecoming. And she asked, is there not anything that, that can be done to sort of sanction the president when he just lies to the American people as he did numerous times throughout his address last night. And I think the best answer. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) I think the best answer to that is probably that, that Congress has the ability to censure the president and the power to impeach the president. And again, you know, impeachment is a, is a political act, not a criminal act. And, I think Congress should be looking hard at those powers and thinking about what they have the will to do. And I just think that as in many, in many contexts that Trump is a bigger threat than our system maybe ever anticipated. You know, I'm just not sure our system ever anticipated a president who would lie like that. And even if the founding fathers did, they certainly didn't anticipate a media environment like ours. 
You know what, though? I I think I disagree with that. I think that the founders, I mean, they had just gotten away from a tyrannical king. I think they very much had a Trumpian figure in mind when they crafted this system. I think what they didn't have in mind were legislators who are afraid of their own shadows mm-hmm. and who are so desperate to cling to their re-election campaigns that they won't stand for anything. I mean, I think that the heart and soul of the people who were forming and, you know, not to not to glorify these guys, all kinds of problems then too. no saints and, you know, in our in our history. I understand that. But if you think about the context in which those documents were drafted, where it looked like the legislature was going to be the people who were standing up for the little person and for what is right and for what is just and good against a tyrannical executive, I I very much think we are equipped to deal with Donald Trump, but we have systematically diminished the moral accountability of our legislators. And that's our problem right now, in my opinion. I'm not even willing to blame the media on this. Yeah, and maybe it's that our system anticipated it, but like somebody has to like pull the lever. We don't have any yeah. sort of automatic, we don't have a trap door that's going to automatically open up. Somebody has to start the, the process. Yes, and, and see it through. And it's going to be hard and ugly. And probably a lot of people will go down in the course of it. But man, go down for something. Yeah, seriously. Well, Sarah, I hope that you have a great time at Podcast Movement. That's why our audio is a little different. Sarah's recording from sunny California. I am. It's been fantastic so far. And I'm sure that you're learning lots of things, and we're going to keep trying to improve what we do here at Pantsuit Politics. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Pantsuit Politics on Twitter, Pantsuit Politics on Facebook. Sarah has been rocking some Instagram stories from her trip. So if you don't follow us there, please check us out there. Thank you for your reviews on the Apple Podcast Player and a huge thank you to our executive producers, Nicholas, Tracy, Leslie, and Sabrina. And until Tuesday's episode, keep it nuanced, y'all. Bye.